Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This week on the Chicago Bears Review. When doing the division previews, we go from worst to first. And we'll be starting our NFC South preview with a team that went from first to worst in 2016 in the Carolina Panthers. Was 2016 just a fluke, or was 2015 the anomaly? Brian Beversluis from SB Nation's Cat Scratch Reader joins us on the NFC South preview episode of the Chicago Bears Review. We've got our same place opponents out of the way, along with all of the AFC North. And now it's NFC from here on out as we start tonight with the NFC South. What's going on, everybody? Larry D back for the for part one of the NFC South preview episode of the Chicago Bears review, starting with last year's surprise last place team in the Carolina Panthers. These are the guys who are the defending NFC champions uh, in 2015 by a lot. You know, 15 and 1, 14 and 0 before they even lost a game in 2015, averaging like 32 points a game, just steamrolled their way through the regular season. And even the, the even the postseason was a joke. I mean, this was like Bears type dominance, you know, where they just, you know, 85 Bears, I should say, just smoked their way through. I mean, the Cardinals, who were who I thought was the best team in the NFC all throughout 2015, because I just didn't. Number one, the the Panthers had a light schedule. They had an easy schedule, you know, but they kind of just, you know, I mean, they they made it look easy. Believe me, it's it's not easy having to win the games, you know, just because they're easy on the schedule doesn't mean that they're easy when they actually take place. So what really blew me away was, uh, you know, how easy they made it look in the postseason. I thought, like I said, I thought the Cardinals were the best team in the NFC, and I really thought the Cardinals were going to win the NFC Championship game that year, and the Panthers just straight up murdered them uh, in that game, and then they ran into the buzzsaw into one of the, one of uh, you know, in, in recent memory, one of the better defenses we've seen uh, in the Broncos, and uh, it basically has been all downhill from there uh, with the Panthers. So um, really interested. Brian Beversluis from Cat Scratch Readers, uh, SB Nation, uh, or the the Panther page, the Cat Scratch Reader on SB Nation, <laughs> will be joining us here in a few minutes to uh, to go over that, you know, and and I'll get him to try to answer that question for us. I mean, as a fan, I'm sure he'll say 2016 was the anomaly, but you know, I was actually just studying up on the Panthers earlier this afternoon, and in their five year uh, win span over the last five years, they've had like seven wins. Then they won 12, then they won six, then they won 15, and then they won six again or seven, whatever it was last year. So it's up, down, up, down, up, down. So, I mean, that trend would tell you that the Panthers are in for a big year. But uh, 
will they be able to make it happen? So we'll uh, we'll get Brian on here in a few minutes and uh, we'll ask him those questions and see what all we can uh, what we can shake loose there. So um, you know, it's only been a few days since we talked, so there's not a whole lot of new Bears news to uh, to give you. They announced their training camp schedule uh, today. Got an email about that. Uh, it was like the the seven up training camp schedule uh, for Bourbonnais and. Um, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it out there because, um, you know, it's it's insane to go on the weekend because everybody else has that idea because people work for a living. But uh, all of the uh, during the week um, practices are in the morning at like 1130 and then things like that. There, there are no night practices. You know, when when Lovey was coach, he would throw uh, he would throw the working man a bone and th- throw in like a 530 practice, 730 practice under the lights or something like that. that uh you know, number one, the sun's not blazing and leaning on you and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, you, you can uh, cut out from work maybe an hour early and get down to Bourbon A and, and be able to watch the team practice. So, um, you know, unless I missed it, there are no late practices. It's all like 1130 to 130 when the sun is damn near at its highest point in the sky. So uh, I don't think I'm going to be making it out there. I've, uh, you know, I just started a new job in March. I don't have many vacation days and I'm not going to spend one of those precious vacation days to, uh, to die in, in, in the sun, uh, in, in, in Bourbon A. So, uh, uh, m- maybe, maybe next year we'll have to wait and see, but, uh, yeah, so that's, um, unfortunately that's not going to happen this year. I don't think, uh, anyway, but, um, other interesting uh, headline, I was looking at uh, Bleacher Report, and one of their little headlines was um, the uh, Chicago Bear players most likely to be cut before the 2017 season. So I thought this was kind of uh, interesting. They, the, 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 they had a list of like 15 or 20 uh, honorable mentions, and all of them, um, the, you know, the, the highlights, Josh Bellamy, Deontay Thompson, uh, ben uh, Brownicker, um, let's see, Rashad Coward, who was one of our... Actually, a lot of the guys on this list are our undrafted rookie free agents and a couple of um, veterans, Jonathan Banks, Chris Brzezinski, uh, but those are the honorable mentions. Uh, but then they got down to the list, and the first one on the list kind of blew me away. It was Horonis Grasso. And when it looked into the description as to why they thought Horonis Grasso uh, would be cut. It, uh, it makes a lot of sense actually. I mean, granted, we just drafted this guy two years ago in 2015. He was our third round pick. Uh, he only started in, in about eight games, uh, his rookie season, but he, he, he played rather well, but then he spent his off season and everyone was talking about what a great off season he had, you know, he bulked up, he's ready to take on NFL interior linemen in practice last year blows out an ACL just blow just year is done now the bears are scrambling trying to figure out who's going to play that position and the the beast that is Cody White here started rookie started at center from day 1 and damn near made the pro bowl last year i mean he's being regarded as one of the best centers in the league after you know after his rookie season and he'd never played the position before now the reason that this hurts grassu more than anything is that apparently uh, I mean, it has actually nothing to do with Cody White here, but apparently uh, Grasso isn't uh, versatile. Like, he's he wouldn't be a good guard, apparently. He's a center who plays center. You know, he's not like uh, uh, Eric Cush is what the, the example that they gave here in the, 
the article saying that he can, you know, he can play both guard spots and, you know, in a pinch, he can play center. And um, this is what they, the, 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 the line that I liked is Grasso is versatile enough to play anything other than center, meaning guys who can play different positions will likely clog up limited space on the depth chart. So there you go. You know, he, there's basically that, you know, because Cush can play both interior guard spots and, you know, can play center, that that does not spell good news for um, for Grasso. So uh, number two on the list was Connor Shaw. Interesting, but I don't think that's too big a surprise. I know people like me, there are other guys out there where they'd rather see us keep him than Mark Sanchez, but chances are that... There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, the fact that he started about 100 games in his career will give, you know, Sanchez the nod over a guy like Shaw. Uh, the next one on the list, Mitch Unrein, with the addition of Jay Howard, with, uh, you know, Akeem Hicks uh, and everything, might not, uh, you know, he might not be able to hang on. Um, then the really interesting one was DeAndre Hall. Here's another guy we just drafted. I mean, in fact, we just drafted this kid last year. But the Bears went out and signed about 15 guys into the secondary, so somebody's got to go. And, um, you know, we signed uh, Marcus Cooper and, and Prince of Mukamura. Uh, you know, we brought back Jonathan Banks. We have Quentin Demps, and we drafted Eddie Jackson. Even for a guy like DeAndre Hall, they want to see him at safety uh, this year. It might, there might just be too much there and he might not be able to, um, you know, it might just be bad luck for him. Like he may not, uh, he may start low on the depth chart and not be able to work his way up to get enough reps in the preseason to get enough tape to work himself onto the team. So I would hate to see this happen, but, um, you know, that was one of the names on the list. And then number one on the list didn't really surprise me when, when you think about it, uh, a year ago, you couldn't even imagine something like this happening, but that name was Jeremy Langford. You know, I mean, this was the guy that I thought gave us all the reason in the world not to re-sign uh, Matt Forte when the time came. His contract is up. He's going to turn 30. And Jeremy Langford produced as well, if not better, than he did in, in 2015. And then in 2016, he's the man. He's the starter from day one. And he kind of choked his way the fir- through the first two and a half games and then Jordan Howard started game number four against the Lions and that's it that's our guy I mean there's no way he was going to get that job back 
And with, uh, you know, Kadeem Carey uh, doing a better job in special teams, the Bears drafting uh, Tariq Cohen and signing Benny Cunningham in, in the offseason, it, it, like a DeAndre Hall situation. It just might be too crowded for us to be able to keep him. So uh, those are the names to be looking at. Uh, there'll be some, so quote unquote, surprise cuts when the time comes uh, in, in uh, you know, before the season starts or even during training camp. Uh, those might be some of the, the some those might be some of the fat that gets trimmed when it comes to uh, getting down from uh, 90 down to the 53. So um, anyway, that's that's all I got for the uh, for the news and notes. We're going to go ahead and get this NFC South preview started, bringing our new friend Brian Beversluis from SB Nation's Catch Scratch Reader to help us preview the 2017 Carolina Panthers. We begin our trip through the NFC South. Unfortunately, you know, the way we do this is we go from worst to first. And as I said in my in my opening, we're starting with a team that went from first to worst. I mean, all the way down. I didn't actually even realize that until I started looking up uh, the, the NFC South and the standings at 6-10. and 10, uh, The Panthers coming in last place and here helping us out with this preview of this 2017 Panthers. Brian Beversluis from, that's pronou- I pronounced that right, didn't I? You did. You did. Okay, yes. good. I, I probably should have asked before we started, but uh, whatever. Uh, from Catch Scratch Reader on SB Nation joining us uh, to help us out. Brian, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Ready to talk some football. It's been too long. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of in the, you know, I'm kind of in the mode right now. I've been doing this for a couple of weeks now. So, but I definitely understand the, the urgency. I mean, it's June is, is beginning to wrap up, which means July is here. And July is that first sliver of hope because training camp is just around the corner. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. So, but um, we, we talk about the Panthers. And before we get to that, um, what I always like to ask my, the new guests that I have on the show, get a little history on you. Um, how long have you been a Panther fan? Because I get the feeling you might be older than the team. And, you know, how long have you been a fan um, and what do you have like a favorite Panther moment as a fan? Well, I've been a fan since about the early two thousands. Um, my grandpa was the reason I became a fan of the Carolina Panthers. I'm 25. Um, so I was probably, I was born a few years before the franchise, but, right. um, <clears throat> I've been a fan just because of him. Cause, uh, I wasn't really into football when I first started watching it, I guess, in a sense, uh, my family was always into it. And, uh, my grandpa was there one time when I was watching the game, and I looked at this team with these black and blue jerseys. I said, you know what? I might watch this team, mainly because I like the colors, but also because it was an exciting game. Sure. And uh, my grandpa looked at me and said, hey, will you stay a fan for me? And I said, yeah. So he took a Panthers hat and put it on my head. <laughs> so ever since then, I've been a Panthers fan through thick and thin. Mostly go. thin, but, you know, yeah. it is what it is. And uh I've been a fan ever since then, and uh, I started writing for the Cat Scratch Reader about a few years ago, uh, prior to the 2015 season, mm. and uh, came along, started writing, doing some roster analysis, and uh, I'd say my favorite moment as a Panthers fan is honestly one that a lot of people may not even know of or remember, but it was uh, the 2008 season when Carolina went 12-4. and and made it to the playoffs that was my first real season as a real 
diehard fan where they did well. And the first, the moment that really set it in stone for me was against the San Diego Chargers when uh, Steve Smith was suspended for punching Ken Lucas in the face. <laughs> and uh, so Carolina had to go out there after a disappointing 2007 season with Jake DeLome coming off of his Tommy John surgery. Yeah. And uh, they went out there, they played a really close game with the Chargers, but it came down to a very, a very small window of time to drive down the field and score. And Musa Muhammad catches a pass that puts him within scoring range, roughly 20 yards or so. And uh, Jake DeLome gets the snap, throws two pump fakes that even fake out the cameraman hardcore, and then throws the pass back into the back of the end zone over two Chargers' hands, and Dante Rosario catches it for a touchdown, wins the game, no time left. That's my favorite moment because that was like, damn, being a Panthers fan may not, might not suck that much after all. <laughs> That's not bad, uh, but uh, you know you're throwing out some ex Bears names and Dante Rosario and uh, uh, Moose and Muhammad. Is uh, you know hearing those names is kind of funny. And speaking of another ex Bear that's joined the team, uh, you know you got one of your guys back in, in Julius Peppers, and we'll talk about him a little bit later on when we get to the free agency part. But we we, we go into 2016, and this was after an amazing 2015 season. You know, you start the season 14 and 0, you finish 15 and 1, you blaze through the playoffs. And I was just talking a moment before uh during my opening segment how um you know, honestly, I didn't think the Panthers would hold up in the playoffs because they they'd had uh you know, a pretty easy schedule. Now granted, they won every single one of those games and they won them convincingly, but I just thought that when they ran into a team like Arizona, which they did in the NFC Championship game, that would reality would set in. Instead, they murdered the Cardinals in the in the NFC Championship game, make it to the Super Bowl, and that's where they run into Von Miller and the Broncos, and you know, and uh, you know, the Super Bowl was a disappointment uh, for them. Then 2016 comes, and you know, was 2016 more of a Super Bowl hangover that plagues any team that goes to the Super Bowl, or was there real problems with the Panthers last year? There were a lot of problems with the Panthers last year. I mean, playing week one, like, the one thing that you can see as a consistent factor in the 2015 season was the fact that the Carolina Panthers weren't just playing well. They were playing on an emotional high. Yeah. They they were winning games. They were doing what they do. They were doing what they wanted to do. They were celebrating. They were having fun. You know, they were just all around dominant and you start off the twenty six the twenty sixteen season against the same freaking team that beat you in the Super Bowl, and they beat you again by a field goal by Graham Gano. That's got to be super mo- super demotivating. Like, yeah. like the team was obviously full health at that time, and they lost the game they obviously should have won. I mean, Graham Gano back in twenty fifteen when he nailed that field goal, no problem. But twenty sixteen wasn't the case there. Um, then they go out and they blow out the Forty ers which to be honest, it's not really a hard feat for. A decent NFL team. Well, I mean, the but, Bears, even the Bears did it last year. They they beat, exactly. the, they beat the hell out of the 49ers last year. So Then they not, go play. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. And they, then they go play Atlanta and just get massacred. Um, that was a tough game because they had some injuries there. James Bradbury got hurt. Benny Ben Wickery was still recovering from injury at cornerback. So Julio Jones just torched that secondary that was filled with rookies. Right. Um you know, the big problems that 
hurt the Carolina Panthers that year were the fact that they couldn't protect Cam Newton because Michael Ower went out after, for, after two games for the entire season. And Michael Ower was really the big reason why Cam Newton was so protected in 2015 because he finally wasn't having tons of pressure from his blind side. He had somebody who could actually protect there. And Mike Remmers on the right side was doing okay. And they have Brian Khalil, Trey Turner as all pro centers and guards. And Andrew Norwell should have absolutely been an all pro guard that year. You know, they have a very, they had a very good group on the offensive line. It just went to crap when Ryan Khalil got hurt and Michael Ower got hurt and they had to shift a bunch of guys around. Mike Remmers playing left tackle is like the worst thing that a franchise could do. You know, it's, when Cam, Cam Newton was getting battered every game of the year, and he just doesn't play well in those circumstances. I, I, and I would argue that any quarterback wouldn't play well in those circumstances. I mean, he was like essentially Ben Roethlisberger in those situations because yeah. he was getting hit left and right. People were going for the head. He wasn't getting the flags for him. You know, so he was hurt, I would argue, most of the season, even though technically speaking what they've said is that his shoulder tear happened in the later parts of the season. So he was hurt most of the year. The defense lost Luke Keekley halfway through the season. They also didn't have a presence like Josh Norman to shut down those number one wide receivers. They had two corners who were both rookies who were just thrown into the fire. You know, there were there were some real problems with that with that unit. That said, after a year of all that, looking at it now, it could work out to be much better for them now that those guys have some experience under their belts. Sure, sure. So I mean that's there's there's no no better experience than actually playing the game itself. So, um, you know, and you 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 brought up the the, the Cam Newton. I mean, he spent a great deal of the season um, either ignoring or having to defend his attitude last year, especially after the press conference or the the post game press conference, whatever it was, where he was basically complaining about not getting uh, the calls. Uh, you know, and. I had very mixed emotions about that when he did it, because on one hand, yes, he's absolutely right. He's not getting the calls, but he's the only one complaining about it. I mean, other guys like Ben Roethlisberger were taking shots like that. Um, Other guys were out there taking the beating, but Cam Newton was the only one crying foul about it. How did you feel? I mean, even as a fan, did you feel like he was justified in making that complaint or did you just want him to shut up and play? I kind of absolutely feel justified, honestly, and this may not be the most popular opinion, but I watched that dude take hits to the head that any other quarterback would have gotten, flags-wise. And I'll bring you to a moment that you may you may remember from last season, but mm-hmm. Dolphins are playing the Steelers. Matt Moore rolls out. Matt Moore throws a pass. Matt oh, yeah. Moore gets lit up on a completely legal hit by, by Bud Dupree and gets a flag. Bud Dupree put his he- helmet in his, fu- in his uh, chest. Legal hit, as far as all are concerned. Technically, according to the rules, that's a play where the quarterback should not get a flag. As much as the hit looked like it hurt, and it was probably unnecessary, it was not, it was not technically a hit that was illegal. Cam Newton would have plays where he's in the pocket, t- have a guy jump at his head, hit him in the head as he's throwing the ball away and not get those flags. It's ridiculous. It's just, we, we wrote about it a lot in the CSR, but like 
the inconsistency at which they deliver these calls is just maddening. Because, like, there are times where Cam Newton would take a hit where the ball was a little bit errant because he knew he was about to take a hit. Didn't get the flag, no first down, they got a punt. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, granted, like, Cam Newton doesn't hide who he is. He, he will say what he feels he needs to say. He will say what he feels is right or what makes sense. He's not somebody who's just going to give you that textbook, like, this is perfect for the press response. He says what he feels, and I feel like he was justified to complain about that because he was taking hits that any other quarterback who's not six foot six, two hundred thirty, two hundred fifty pounds or so would get fl- would get the flags for. While quarterbacks who were running on the inverse plays where Cam Newton would get hit, not get the flag, and they were getting flags for it. So I have a hard time really disputing what he said because quite frankly if you're looking at the rules in the sense of uniformly addressing them across the the NFL with all quarterbacks he was not getting them the same way that Tom Brady Eli Manning Peyton Manning back in his heyday all those guys would get and it's just it's kind of frustrating to as a fan to watch that sure no I I bet Do do you think that his size had anything to do with it because it was it's very similar in 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 how Roethlisberger would take take some hits and and you know it's it's almost like the referees would hold the flag because well he's basically an offensive lineman playing quarterback so obviously he's built to handle this so I won't throw the flag there but I'll throw it on the you know the 6'1 210 pound Matt Moore uh getting blasted you know do you think his size factored into it at all or or anything like that I absolutely think it did I mean with any running quarterback, the officials are going to be a little more skeptical about throwing those flags. Right. I mean, because if the quarterback takes off, suddenly he's no longer a quarterback, he's a runner. Mm-hmm. So then the rules are applied differently. And obviously, I'm, I'm okay with it. If Cam Newton's running the ball down the field, 10 yards down the field, takes a shot to the head, guess what? He's a running back in that situation. As much right. as it sucks to see your quarterback get hit like that, that's where he is. But... They have, they have, they have to apply those rules as far as pocket passing goes, because Cam Newton has evolved into a more pocket passing centered quarterback and runs more so when he needs to, rather than just to get some yards. He's less of a running quarterback than he was in his in his heyday, in his early years. So, why he's not getting those flags when other guys are when he's clearly standing there trying to throw a pass is definitely concerning because that that means that they're not applying their rules uniformly but i definitely agree i think the fact that he's a running quarterback is built like he is they're less likely to throw a flag because they're like well he'll be okay when he gets up you know right yeah well i mean i definitely agree that that uh, that newton was taking some some unnecessary shots or that that guys were out there trying to take him out uh not to like injure him but at least to to knock him out of the game at least for that per particular um one so i mean i can um i can see where he would where he would make the complaint um i don't know i i just i just had an issue with him you know doing that at the press conference maybe leave that up to your coach or your your owner or your general manager or something like that instead of uh being the guy that does it uh himself so um that was just my thought uh, yeah well it. i i mean I, I agree with what you're saying in mm-hmm. a sense, but Cam Newton has never been like for anybody who's watched Cam Newton over his career, he's never been the guy to right. give you that that like response where the media is gonna love it and it's gonna make everybody happy. It's Cam Newton, when he talks to the media, 
he tells he he tells it like it is, or at least how he feels it is. He is not somebody who hides his personality. He, when he's upset, he will tell you. When he's mad, or when he's happy, he'll tell you. He is not like Aaron Rodgers, who's going to sit there and say, "Oh, you know, well, like you know, we just got to play better or something like that." Cam is going to Cam is going to tell people what he thinks, and that's kind of like the uh, the live and die mentality with him because. If you're a fan of that team, you have to understand that Cam Newton's going to say some stuff that is going to piss off the media sometimes because he's just not – he just – he is himself. And it's something you can either embrace or something you can push away. I personally embrace it, but I can totally understand why other people wouldn't. No, I get it too. I, I mean, I, I actually was a huge fan of his in 2015. I had no problem with the way that he would celebrate after – touchdowns i mean i was on his side with the whole if you don't want me dancing then don't let me score uh mentality and everything uh that he had and and you know maybe it was just you know piling on or you know whatever it just seemed like you know things weren't going so well so cam doesn't have the same head on his shoulders that he had in 2015 when everything was going his way it it did it wasn't a good look. So, I mean, I'm, I hope that he snaps out of it and that 2017 goes better for him. You know, maybe he doesn't win another championship or go back to Super Bowl or whatever, but that, you know, he figures out how to find some more of the joy that he had in 2015, even if it doesn't go like 2015 did. No, nah, he will. I mean, they continue to celebrate, like, giving out touchdown balls to people and stuff, to little kids and stuff like that. So he did his part there, but I think that with – it's hard to be like that when you're not succeeding. So sure. yeah. I think when they succeed, they will see more of that classic Cam Newton there. Yeah. So in 2016, you know, a lot of um, losing in bunches there. After the first win against San Francisco week two, you lose four in a row to Minnesota, Atlanta, Tampa Bay, and, and New Orleans. And it was, you know, looking at the final scores, it's like the defense would show up one week, and then the, the the you know like they gave up 48 in one week only 17 the week after the problem was when they only gave up 17 they only scored 14 and then ended up losing the game and it just seemed to go back and forth like that throughout the uh throughout the season there were very few instances i mean you went 6 and 10 very few instances where it happened where the defense showed up and the offense scored the points that it needed to yeah i mean like i said um secondary obviously very young minus kurt coleman who was you know, Pro Bowl safety the year before. But losing James Bradbury was much a much harder blow than people realize. Because James Bradbury, of all the corners they drafted, was the most pro-ready. I mean, he did a decent job against Demarius Thomas. He did a, a pretty good job against Torrey Smith with San Francisco. You go to Atlanta, he gets hurt early on, and then Julio Jones lights him up for a record-setting day, you know. Then Daryl Worley gets hurt, too. So then he got this fifth-round pick, Zach Sanchez, who was on the practice squad to start the year. Like, the front seven is good. Don't get me wrong. K1 Short, Starla Tule, Mario Addison, Charles Johnson is a really good front seven with with Luke Keekley and Thomas Davis and Shaq Thompson behind them. Like, that's a very good front seven. But yeah. if a team can just simply make the quick passes that nullifies the effectiveness of the front seven because it doesn't matter how strong your front seven is. They still need like, you know, like two, three, maybe four seconds to even make an impact as far as uh, rushing the passer goes. So all those teams figured out was, Hey, nullify that front seven. We'll burn them down deep in the secondary because the only guy they have was any 
remote experience, Kirk Coleman, and they were just burning them right and left. And James Bradbury is a guy who pro football focus ranked right around what Josh Norman had in Washington this year. I mean, that kid's good, but when you don't have that kid and you got all these other rookies and like guys who should never be on the defensive on the defensive side of the ball on a normal Sunday, it's bad for your defense. So like their rush defense was fine, but passing defense was terrible because those corners were not ready or equipped to handle guys like Julio Jones or Brandon Cooks or Michael Thomas or, you know, Mike Evans or any of those guys. They're just not ready for it. Where this year I see them and say, okay, maybe they're more equipped for it now. Right. I mean, and when I was, uh, when I was reading up on the team, um, it, the, the thing that jumped out at me was that I read in a few places the Panthers were number one in sacks last year with 47, but like 29th in pass defense as far as allowing the yardage uh, and everything. So that speaks to everything that you were just talking about. I mean, that's kind of staggering in a way that they're, they're the, they have the best pass rush in the NFL, but their pass defense is horrendous. Part of that comes from the fact that they have three very athletic linebackers and they have Mario Addison, who just came back this year, who was a pass rushing specialist. K1 Short just got paid like Aaron Donald should. Star Latule was a first-round defensive tackle who's living up to that. Charles Johnson's always been a consistent pass rusher. You know, they have the, the personnel to get sacks, and they have the, they had the scheming to blitz guys when they needed to. Like, one fun fact about Carolina that you may not know over the last two years, they don't blitz often, but when they do, they usually get there and get the sack. They're more. They're one of the better teams at getting a sack or getting an incompletion because of hitting the quarterback. They're very good at that. But a lot of that is contingent on your defensive backfield being there and forcing the team to hold on to the ball a little bit longer. And last year they lost that because of guys like Bradbury being hurt or Worley learning his, his role or finding a nickel corner who is worth a damn and – their strong safety being a guy like Trey Boston, who wasn't all that good. You know, it's in the NFL, you have to succeed. You have like for a team to be successful rushing the quarterback, they have to have some semblance of a secondary in order to keep the quarterback holding onto the ball. And it's, it's the same way on the inverse. If you have one of the best second secondaries in the NFL, you still need some semblance of a pass rush to make that effective. They work in the symbiotic way. And Carolina just did not have that last year. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I, I, I can definitely, you're preaching to the choir uh, on that because even though the Bears' uh, front seven is still a work in progress, it would have been much better had the secondary been able to hold up its end uh, last year with guys like McPhee and Leonard Floyd and, and Willie Young and, and, and Lamar Houston coming off the edge. And we got Eddie Goldman in, uh, you know, in the middle and Akeem Hicks had a stud season last year but they weren't as effective as they could have been because you know on those chances where they didn't get there then they had all day to throw the ball and our secondary was getting eaten up all all day uh every day so i definitely feel where you're coming from uh on that one so we move into into the off season uh we get done with this horrible 16 uh 2016 season six and ten it's behind us now um you move into free agency and and one of the then two moves kind of jump off the page at you, the first one being Julius Peppers coming home to Carolina, 
where he went to college and started his pro career with the Panthers way back in 2002. And um, the other one is the money that they gave Matt Khalil uh, to come in and, and most likely be your starting left tackle uh, from here on out after a less than stellar first four years in Minnesota. I'll address Matt Khalil first. Okay. I mean, we know Matt Khalil came into the league and had a Pro Bowl season his first year. Yes, he did. Then he just fell off the map with injuries, left and right, different injuries. And from what I read, Matt Khalil feels much better than he's ever has since coming into the NFL after his hip surgery. And quite frankly, for an offensive tackle, the hips are kind of a big deal. I mean, yeah, they have sure. to block, especially left tackles. They're pass blocking all the time. So I look at Matt Khalil, and I'm not going to say he's going to be a Pro Bowl talent or anything like that, but... John Matsko took Michael Ower, who is coming off one of his worst seasons as a pro with the Titans, made him into a passable left tackle with Cam Newton. They go 15-1, and one, best offense in the NFL, make it to the Super Bowl. So you get Matt Khalil here, who has some familiarity with Ryan Khalil as it is. Right. Already had a proven body of work of being a solid left tackle when he's healthy. You get Matsko there. I think Matt Khalil will be okay. Do I think he's going to be a Pro Bowl left tackle? No. But I think he'll probably be at least semi-passable, and that's what, the, that's what Carolina needs. It's not necessarily to have a Joe Thomas there. They just need somebody who will keep Cam Newton clean for, like, a few seconds until he can make his reads and get it out there. I mean, obviously, he's a guy where we have to wait on him because we have to see what he's going to do with a Carolina uniform after his surgery. There's a lot of question marks there. But he was, the of all the, like... People say, oh, well, they paid him a ton of money. But you yeah. look at the other contracts that's out there. For God's sakes, Mike Remmers, who was a terrible left tackle for Carolina when they needed him, made more money than Matt Khalil, who Matt, Matt Khalil is a left tackle. Matt Khalil is a left tackle in the NFL. That's what he's always done. So you paid Mike Remmers, who was, a, who was like a passable right tackle, more money in Minnesota to come to Minnesota where Matt Khalil, you pay him less. And then every other left tackle out there essentially made more money. Like, Matt Khalil's deal is essentially, like, a few years, and then you can cut him and have no problem. So I'm not too worried about that. And Julius Peppers, I mean, I read an article today from the Panthers' website. That dude who – Julius Peppers, let me let me look at his age real quick. I have my, uh, my 37. computer up. 37. Yeah. This 37-year-old defensive end is running stride for stride with Luke Keekley and Thomas Davis, two of the fastest linebackers in the NFL. Yeah, he's a freak. How insane is that? Yeah. I mean, the guy's just got athletic ability out the wazoo, and Carolina doesn't even need him to be a starting defensive end. Like, the way I see it is you got Charles Johnson starting on one end, who they just re-signed this year too. Mario Addison will have a higher and have a higher role and he was considered he he just signed big money as a pass rushing specialist you got julius peppers rotating in on whatever side you want as a pass rushing specialist something he's done well throughout his entire career i mean he averaged what like seven eight sacks every year with green bay like julius peppers is going to be a high impact addition and i think people are sleeping on that a little bit and I think it's just his age that they're doing it because it's not like he was unproductive um, in Green Bay. And the only reason he wasn't still in Chicago is because of his cap figure. He was a salary cap casualty. He wasn't a, well, he's old, he's washed up, let's get rid of him. 
uh, and everything. The only thing that sucked more than letting Julius Peppers go was having to play him twice a year in Green Bay. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I knew that we were probably going to have to let him go because he was going to be like $19 million on the cap in, in 2014 or whatever year it was that we had to let him go. Um, so I knew that wasn't going because he wasn't going to take the pay cut and, you know, the Bears weren't going to pay him that. So I knew he was going to go. The only thing that sucked more was watching him do, you know, watching him, uh, you know, do it in minutes in Green Bay and almost going to a Super Bowl twice while he was there. So, um, yeah, I, I hated to see him go because I, I, I was a man crushing on on Julius Peppers big time when he was in Chicago. I mean, it was a dream come true having a guy like that on our team. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a freak athlete at, at defensive end. I mean, there's not much more you can ask for. The guy's huge. The guy's fast. The guy's got jumping abilities, got length. Like, Yeah, I mean, he was a basketball player at North Carolina. I mean, everybody forgets that. At North Carolina, that is an actual basketball school. So, yeah, a very know, good one at that. Yeah, yeah, one of the best. In fact, they won the national championship just this year. So, you know, this is a team that, that or a school that makes its name on basketball players, and he was able to hang with the best one of the best teams in the country while he was playing football. It's just that football ended up being his deal. So, um, so aside from peppers and Khalil, um, any of the other free agent additions that you were particularly happy about? So the biggest one that a lot of Carolina Panthers fans were hoping for and actually happened, which is rare because Dave Gettleman almost never signs the people that Panthers fans are clamoring for, (laughs) but captain Munderland from Minnesota. So, if you don't know his name, Captain Munderland was a very late-round pick for Carolina back years ago when Greg Hardy was selected. He ended up turning out to be a pretty solid nickel corner for Carolina. In fact, in 2013, when they went 12-4, Captain Munderland played double duty. He played outside corner, and then when they had nickel packages, he'd play nickel. And he was a great blitzer, great coverage guy. He has the most pa- He has the most interceptions for touchdowns in Carolina history, and now he's back. He played with the Minnesota secondary, which was a highly deep group last year. Um, So he's coming back now to be the nickel for Carolina, where Carolina hasn't found a solid nickel since he left. So you take Daryl Worley and James Bradbury. James Bradbury is already showing that he can be a a cornerback one if you give him some time. And Daryl Worley made some decent plays as a cornerback two. Now you get a high-level nickel cornerback in, in uh, Captain Munderland, and I'm just sitting here like, man, defenses are going to be throwing a lot of turnovers next year because that guy is very good, and he's going to help mentor them. He's going to be the blitzing the blitzing presence they want, and now he's a few years older and has a lot more veteran presence to instill in that defense. He's a lot I, – I would liken him to the Charles Tillman pickup of the 2015 season mm-hmm. where Charles Tillman was – so good for Carolina because he was just a guy who forced fumbles and taught the defense how to do things. Trump, like Captain Munderland's not going to be the guy to like teach the defense to like do the peanut punch or anything like that. But that veteran presence in such a young secondary is going to be a big deal. Yeah, talk about another one that stung. I, I was so pissed when we let him go. <laughs> so I mean, it just it made sense, you know. Basically, his body was breaking down on him, and it's eventually what ended his time in Carolina. Uh, as well was uh, him suffering that knee injury just before the I felt so bad for him too he he almost made it back to the Super Bowl um, you know hadn't been there since 06 when the Bears last uh, last went and almost had to wait 10 years to get back and got hurt just before uh, it came to fruition for him so I felt sick to my stomach for him when that 
when that happened. So, but uh, on the free agent law side, um, wide receivers, uh, Philly Brown, Ted Ginn, um, depart for Buffalo and New Orleans, respectively. As you talked about Mike Remmers, he's in Minnesota, so it's basically a trade, Matt Khalil for Mike Remmers. And then the, 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 the one that kind of surprised me was uh, Mike Tolbert heading to Buffalo, um, where he'd been the fullback in Carolina forever. Philly Brown, Ted Ginn. Philly Brown's not that big of a loss. They replaced uh, the two of them with uh, Russell Shepard from the Buccaneers and uh, Charles Johnson, a.k.a. not the defensive end. From Minnesota right so they have two fast guys who can essentially re- replace that role alongside guys like Curtis Samuel and Christian McCaffrey so I don't feel that bad about those losses because they have those speedy guys I mean Philly Brown was good at times but he wasn't consistent for Carolina he was mm. he was a guy where like his first year Cam Newton could depend on him to catch passes but then all of a sudden 2015 too he was really good for getting those catch those catches down the field but they weren't anything special it was mostly just like the protection held up cam newton throw a pass downfield the guy's fast he catches it. okay great russell shepherd and charles johnson can easily replace that because charles johnson has never had a quarterback who didn't have a noodle arm throwing to him right. so and russell shepherd is a special teams guy high effort dude who had a lot who had some success with Jameis winston Ted Ginn is someone where Carolina may may miss him, but at the same time, like he had a 50-50 chance of him actually catching a pass. So that was always the thing. And now they have Curtis Samuel, who I would argue is faster than him at this point in his career, and Charles Johnson, Russell Shepard. So they can run those same concepts and not have to worry about the guy not being fast enough to take the top off the defense. They have that presence now between Samuel, Shepard, and Johnson. So I'm not super worried about that. Ted Ginn evolved as a wide receiver with Carolina, but he's never done anything else with any other team. So I think that he'll go to New Orleans and be passable maybe <laughs> because every other team that he's ever played for, has he's done next to nothing aside from Miami where he was literally the best receiver they had. And that's a sad statement, by the way, that Ted Ginn was the best receiver they had when he was drafted. So, mm. you know, um, I'm not too worried about it. I mean, obviously, Matt Khalil, Mike Remmers trade. We'll see how that works out. Um, Mike Tolbert's production really declined over the last two years. Hmm. In 2013, he was a he was a touchdown machine. Yeah, he was the guy where like you hand him the ball in five, ten yard line, he'd find a way to get it in there. And, then in 2015, he had a few couple. He had a few times where he would like run it in there with like several broken tackles, no big deal. But in 2016, he was darn next to useless for actually getting the yards you needed. Hmm. Like at that point, I would rather Carolina hand the ball to Cam Newton, their quarterback, to get those those short yardage than to get Mike Tolbert. I think he's on the twilight of his career, and they signed Daryl Young, who played with. Uh, Alfred Morris in Washington, who was a decent runner as a fullback. And they also got Alex Arma, who was an all around great athlete in college, who they just drafted in the sixth round or fifth round. You know, Mike Tolbert's production as of last year is easily replaceable. And love the guy to death. His dances were great, but not worth keeping around. 
So you alluded to some of your draft picks. You talked about Alex Army. You took him in the fifth round, uh, fullback out of West Georgia. I didn't even know that was a school, but there it was. And then you, you mentioned <laughs> you mentioned Samuel, the wide receiver you got in the second round from Ohio State. But the, the gem of the class at number eight overall being Christian McCaffrey, the running back out of uh, Stanford, um, you know, being heavily looked upon to be be that versatile beast that he was in Stanford, not just being a guy that can can help out uh, Jonathan Stewart in the backfield, but also help out Cam Newton in the passing game, whether it be lining up as a slot receiver or just catching the ball out of the backfield. Yeah, so what excites me about Christian McCaffrey, and I'm going to allude to something that people who don't maybe follow the Panthers may or may not know, but for several years now, they have been looking for a second tight end to complement Greg Olson. And I say tight end, you're going to say to me, what does that have to do with Christian McCaffrey? But <laughs> Greg Olson is a guy where you can literally line him up anywhere. Slot, inline tight end, outside wide receiver. He does well. Yeah, remember you're talking you're you're talking to a Bears fan, dude. You, you don't have to tell me what oh, Greg Olson you, is you capable of. Pain. Yeah. I'm sorry. I it's don't mean just, to I don't mean to inflict that pain. Yeah. I'm sorry. I mean at 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 knee jerk, it was a good trade because the Bears got a third round pick that they turned into Brandon Marshall. But, you know, overall, Brandon Marshall's time in Chicago is come and gone and Greg Olson is like the first tight end in history with 3,000-yard seasons in a row. And, exactly. um, you know, he became in Carolina what we wanted him to be in Chicago. It's just that – and it wasn't even that he wasn't productive. It's that he was playing for Mike Martz, who has no use for a tight end. So you, yep. can't, you can't find something for Greg Olson to do? Really? You'd rather get rid of him than find a spot for him. And that's what they did, <laughs> and – History speaks for itself. He became the beast we knew he was when we drafted him, but he did it somewhere else. So you don't have yep. to you don't have to school me on the merits of of Greg Olson. I knew in two thousand and seven when we drafted the guy, and now I've sit there and from a distance have to watch him become the animal we knew he was going to be. Yeah, I imagine you cry every time. Just so. about. Yeah. I agree. So that's, <laughs> um, yeah, it's good. But times. yeah, Carolina has been looking for that compliment tight end and the the. The closest thing they've had since then is Ed Dixon, who is quite honestly a disappointment for pretty much every team he's played for, aside from one team in Baltimore. So the focus was, okay, let's find a tight end that can complement Greg Olson. But I argue that Christian McCaffrey is actually a better complement for Greg Olson than any tight end they could have found. Because, yeah, Christian McCaffrey can line up in the backfield, but they have Jonathan Stewart for that. So either... McCaffrey's going to line up as a second halfback, or he's going to line up as a slot receiver, or he's going to line up as a wide, wide receiver, or even an H-back if you decide to throw out those H-back looks. So on a given formation, you could have Greg Olson anywhere over the field, and you could have Christian McCaffrey anywhere over the field. So now Christian McCaffrey desires attention, and Greg Olson desires attention, along with whatever wide receiver Carolina decides to put into that formation. Like, Kelvin Benjamin can't be up against a, a, a linebacker. Like, he he may not be the most consistent with his hands, but you put him on a linebacker, he's going to smoke that guy. Yeah. So now you have that compliment to Greg Olson because teams, even in their base formations, have to account for Greg Olson, one of the most versatile tight ends in the NFL right now, and Christian McCaffrey, a guy who can literally play 
about three different positions on the offense on the offense and do well. So that causes so many nightmares for a defensive coordinator. Like McCaffrey can run the ball between the tackles like Le'Veon Bell. He can catch the ball in the slot like the best of wide receivers. He can go deep like a lot of fast wide receivers. And he can go for the screen passes. Those are all elements of the of the offense that Carolina hasn't had the best of in the last few years. So now you have a guy who does it all. So as long as he's healthy, that defense has to be scared because you have to deal with two to three different things he might be doing on that given snap. So Christian McCaffrey was definitely the best pick Carolina could have made, and I am very happy with it. Yeah, I like to pick a lot uh, myself. I was like, well, there's a there's a headache for the NFC South when uh, you know when that guy finally gets to strap him up. Um, you know, I, I like to pick uh, from the from the start, and um, you know, I, I I hope that he does that he lives up to his uh, to his to his college career because he's one of the best college football players ever, in my opinion. I mean, the guy was just an absolute animal all all of his uh, his career out there. So. Amongst your your other picks, you you mentioned Samuel. We talked about McCaffrey. You even mentioned your your, your fullback in the fifth round. Um, my favorite name on the entire list. Can you guess what it is? <laughs> Butker. No, actually, that, that's close. But it was Corn Elder. I mean, there's oh, a name that sounds Elder. like it was drawn out of a hat. You know, it's like oh, we got <laughs> this. That first name's Corn, and we picked this. this oh, this one, Corn Elder. There he is, cornerback from Miami in the fifth round. Then you have, um, you know, Deshaun Hall from Texas A&M, Taylor Morton, your offensive lineman out of Western Michigan. And, you know, any of those picks that you were particularly a fan of when the choice was made? Uh, I'll give you two because it's kind of a draw for me. Cause, so Curtis Samuel would be the, the 1A for me because Curtis Samuel gives Carolina that speed dimension that they don't, they at the moment did not have because Ted Ginn and Philly Brown left for free agency. Curtis Samuel is freaking fast. Like, yeah. 4-3-1. That guy had 800 yards receiving and 800 yards rushing in college for Ohio State. A pretty good team. Yeah. He played a lot of pretty good teams. So Carolina now has Christian McCaffrey, who's more of your pure running back, and Curtis Samuel, who's almost the inverse of that in a sense because he's a better wide receiver than Christian McCaffrey. He's more athletic as far as like running goes. So now Carolina has two dual threats who can both do a lot of the same things. Like as a defensive coordinator, Carolina rolls out, let's say, Cam Newton, Christian McCaffrey, Curtis Samuel as the running backs along with their base offense, what do you do? I mean, like, what linebacker is going to cover Curtis Samuel? And even if you have, like, a highly athletic linebacker, okay, now your less athletic linebacker has to cover Christian McCaffrey or a safety. Mm -hmm. Those two guys cause massive matchup problems. So, and on top of that, Curtis Samuel is a better wide receiver than Christian McCaffrey. So you line him up with wide receiver – he could run. He could th- he could go catch a pass down the field. He could run a slant. You don't know, and that's why. Like, what do you do against that? You know. Yeah. So Samuel, I'm excited about. The second one is Corn Elder because that guy has a lot of fight in him. He's a very vicious 
nickel corner. And I think that as soon as Captain Munderland retires or is cut, that Corn Elder may take over for him because he's a very, very in a lot, he's already football IQ wise, he's there. He's got a lot of, he's very smart as far as uh, corners go in the NFL. And he doesn't have to be a starter right away, he can learn. And Captain Munderland is by far the best guy he can learn from because Captain Munderland was a late round pick who ended up being a nickel who learned who learned and paved his way in the NFL. And now you got Corn Elder who has a lot of the same skills, the same aggression, the same small guy mentality. Carolina may have a contingency plan for that nickel corner spot that they've had problems with for so long. So that's your draft class. Uh, you know, McCaffrey, Samuel. A lot of guys are going to give you some, like you were talking about, matchup problems uh, for the defense to help open things up uh, for the Panthers. You know, it, it just seems like it's, uh, you know, it's turning into an offense where it's like pick your poison, you know. And then the biggest poison of all is if you've got all those guys covered, who's watching Cam Newton? You know, I mean, exactly. that's, that's going to be the, the problem for you as, uh, as well. So if, uh, if everything goes right for the Panthers, it's going to be a – it's going to be a hell of a team to watch, especially on the offensive side of the ball uh, this year. And um, speaking of this year, we move into the schedule to kind of start to wrap things up here. And you've got the NFC North, obviously, and the AFC East uh, as your uh, because you got the Patriots, the Dolphins, the Jets, and so on uh, on the schedule. Um, you know, one of the pitfalls, or on the plus side, I mean. I always hate the bear to see the Bears, you know, have a losing record to have a, a lousy year. But the one upside to that is that I can pretty much count on the Bears playing at noon on Sunday every single week. And you know, you don't see them on national TV. You don't have to sit through Monday Night Football and all the rest of that. Same thing going on with the Panthers this year. You got the your Thursday night game that everybody has to play, and then one Monday night affair this year. Everything else is, you know, or for you on the East Coast, Sunday at one. Panthers are on the field. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of nice because Carolina seems to either do so well that they just shock everybody and dominate the competition, or mm. they just suck <laughs> on prime time. I mean, the only game I can say that's an anomaly to that is uh, 2015, or no, 2013, Carolina versus New England, where it turned out to be a very close game, and Carolina ended up winning. That was, that was entertaining, but other yeah. than that, I remember For that the game. most part, Carolina either gets blown out or blows the other team out on prime time. So I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the <laughs> lack of prime time games. Yeah, so we're 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 looking at the the schedule. You start on the road at San Francisco. Then from there on out, it's pretty much a season of bunches. You got back to back home games, back to back road games after that, then back to back you got a home game and then back to back. It's just like but you know, bunch, 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 bunch here and there. Now, the Bears, on the other hand, the first eight weeks of the season, it's home away, home away, home away. Which would you be more in favor of, a, a, a schedule here where they're home for a couple of weeks at a time or a schedule where it's home away, home away like the Bears have? If you would ask me this question maybe like seven, eight years ago, I'd probably say the stretch of games where they're away. Yeah. Because Carolina was, for some reason, very good at being at playing away. But now Carolina has been very good at home where they're not so good away. So I'd probably say I'd like the Bears' schedule better. Hmm. That said, I mean, Carolina's schedule appears to align with the bad teams from last year being away, aside from the Falcons. 
and the good teams being at home. So who knows? Yeah, you got, um, like I said, you San Francisco away, home for Buffalo in New Orleans, so taking it easy on you there. And then the Patriots as, is a road game, and then you're at the Lions the week after that. And then a short week, you're at home against the Eagles on Thursday Night Football. Then you're at Chicago, at Tampa Bay, and then home for the Falcons, home for the Dolphins on Monday Night Football before that late week, late week 11 bye. So are you a fan of the late bye, or, or do, you, do you want one earlier in the season, like in the 6-8 to eight range? Carolina's best seasons have come from playing byes early. Hmm. I'm going to eliminate the 2015 season from that specific comparison because they only lost one game, obviously. But in 2013, they lost two. They lost three games before they went on their bye and then proceeded to win nine. So it seems like the bye is something where, like, if they need to write the ship, they will. But their schedule prior to the bye is pretty favorable, aside from the Patriots. Mm-hmm. at the moment so i think yeah. they're okay i think they'll be okay but what their win total will look like will entirely depend on how healthy they are and how the offensive line melts so we'll see yeah because you have that road game against the patriots that's week four and then you do have the falcons before the bye but that's at home so you know yeah. like you said the panthers play better at home then after the bye it's back to back on the road at the jets at the saints home for the Vikings, and then you got three in a row, actually, home for the Vikings, the Packers, and the Buccaneers before you finish it out on the road uh, at Atlanta with the Falcons. So, um, you know, uh, hopefully that will be a meaningful game week 17 at Atlanta playing for a playoff spot or maybe even the division title. Because one of those things that's funny about the NFC South, uh, I don't remember when it was that the streak was finally broken, but somebody went from worst to first like every year for like the first six or seven years of the division's existence since the uh, the realignment in 2002. Yep. Yeah, the NFC South in general has been a very weird division. In fact, 2014 was the first time that a division winner was the first, was consecutively crowned and right. because Carolina went 7-8-1, which is terrible, yeah. but they won the division with that. You know, it's it's been a weird division, is and it's very it's a very competitive division because if you look at it now, as far as like quarterbacks go, you got Cam Newton, Jameis Winston, Drew Brees, Matt Ryan. There aren't many divisions that can boast that number of franchise quarterbacks, and on top of that, you got decent defenses in the Bucks and the Panthers and the Falcons. I mean, the the Saints' defense is you know kind of shitty, but <laughs> you know. Yeah, the numbers they all don't lie, a man. Lot of the same, a lot, the, they all boast a lot of the same attributes and a lot of the same good things. So it's like that division, the NFC South, seems to have been up up in the air for the last several years. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I mean, um, what are you most looking forward to this season? Is it is it watching that offense and all of the options and, and seeing that? come together are you are you hoping to see the secondary you know like what's on your your bucket list for 2017 as far as what do you what's the one thing that you want to see more than anything what i want to see is a formation where cam newton's on the field jonathan stewart's on the field christian mccaffrey's on the field and curtis samuels on the field and then they run some kind of weird option run where the defense is like oh shit what's going on that's what (laughs) i want to see because 
the Panthers were running like back in the last two years, a lot of triple option stuff where Cam Newton would pick the run, the handoff to somebody. And then he'd go for the option play where either Cam keeps the ball or somebody else is option to. And the option guy was tech was typically Philly Brown or Jericho Cotri. And those two guys don't really scare defenses that much, but you sub them out with, let's say Cam Newton fakes the option, Jonathan Stewart. And then the, the pitch guy is Curtis Samuel or Christian McCaffrey. Suddenly that play is a lot scarier for a defense. So yeah. the, the, the kind of like option slash gadget plays they can run with those two guys are going to be terrible for defenses, especially linebackers. Cause there aren't, there's very, I would say 99% of the linebackers in the NFL cannot keep up with Curtis Samuel and Christian McCaffrey. So now you got to be extra careful about what you're dealing with and what your reads are. So I'm really excited for the three of those guys, Stewart, McCaffrey, Samuel, to be on the field at the same time. And um, I got two more things for you, both having to do with Ron Rivera. First is a question. He's been the coach since 2011 for you guys? And, yeah. you know, in that span, um, I, I was when I was reading up on uh, earlier today, it showed a five year win history for the Panthers starting back in 2012, where it was like seven wins. And then 2008, as you talked about a few times, 12 wins uh, or, you know, not 2008, but 2013, I think 12 wins. Yeah. And then yep. like six or seven in 2007 in 2014, 15 in 2015. And then six last year so i mean the trend would say this year is going to be better but what do you think the future holds for chico rivera if it isn't so if ron rivera ends up mustering up a five to six win season he may be gone next year because dave gettleman dave gettleman as much as i like the guy he's very cold about when he cuts people i mean he cut d'angelo williams a year probably too short he cut steve smith probably a year too short the guy doesn't give a crap about what the public thinks about him. So I think if Ron Rivera somehow manages to mucky up this year, like if they have a winning season and they'll make the playoffs, I don't think Ron Rivera will get fired because there's still enough flaws in this team where you could feasibly see a 9-7 and seven season and still not make the playoffs. But if they manage to mucky up and have a six-win year again, I think Dave Gettleman just outright jettisons him because – He's had enough chances. Like we know, like I was super glad that Dave Gettleman gave him a chance after his third season and said, Hey, or his second season said, Hey, you know what? We need to give you some time to make this work. And they did. And they made it to a 12, four season. But if we continue to see this failure, I don't see why Dave Gettleman would hang on. Right. And then the final thing that I have for you before I let you go is that, as I'm sure, you know, Chico Rivera's football history, as far as the NFL concerned, started in Chicago and as a player for many years. And then uh, he was on the coaching staff during the Bears Super Bowl run in the mid 2000s. Um, but I actually had a chance in 1997, 98 to meet Ron Rivera. And um, in the most random of places, it happened the summer that I was working at Six Flags Great America uh, in the north suburbs of Chicago. I was working at a ride called the Yankee Clipper, which is a water ride. And as I'm standing there, I was the guy that assigns people to their boats. Okay. You two in, you two in that one, you three in the, you two in the front, you three in the back, you know, that kind of thing. And here comes Ron Rivera with his 
wife and young son, I think. There were only three of them. I gave them their own boat. Probably. Hey, you got your own? You're Ron Rivera. You go. You take that, that boat right over there. Pleasure to meet you. You know, there you go. Ron Rivera got his own boat to ride the Yankee Clipper with with me. If, if I had seen him earlier, I'd have brought him to the front of the line because he's freaking Ron Rivera. So, I mean, I, that's what I would have done uh, had I done that. But it's like I didn't notice him until he was right on top of me. And then, like I said, I just I gave him I gave him his own boat. So Chico got his own boat. <laughs> Uh, you know, the, the day that he, he rode the Yankee Clipper while I was on, on my watch, Chico got his own boat. So just there you go. share there you that go. with you. So that's going to do it for us. Um, uh, Brian, I want to thank you so much, uh, for coming on and, um, the bears and the Panthers play in Chicago week number seven. So we'd like to have you back that week to preview the game. Once again, uh, we'll have each have six games under our belt. So we'll be able to talk about, see where the first quarter and a half of the season or so uh, has gone and uh, what we're looking forward to in the second half uh, of the season. How about that? Sounds good to me, Larry. All right. So um, do you, are you, are you on a podcast? Do you guys have one? We're working on it. We have the CSR radio every Tuesday night and that's, we're not doing it a whole lot right now, but uh-huh. stay tuned. We'll have some more soon as far as uh, some vocal content. We're working on that. So. Sure, sure. Okay, and you can find them on Cat Scratch Reader uh, on SB Nation, and it's it's just your name on, on Twitter, right? Yep, Brian Beversluice at Yahoo.com. Super hard to spell, but yeah. It's, yeah, it's, uh, it's out there, so... Uh, anyway, Brian, thanks so much uh, for coming on Chicago Bears Review. We'll uh, we'll see you in October. Sounds good, Larry. Talk to you then. Great conversation with Brian uh, from Cat Scratch Reader on SB Nation. Be sure to. Uh, Follow him on Twitter to keep up with what's going on with the Panthers between now and the time that our beloved take on the Panthers on October 22nd in Chicago. That's week number seven. Be looking forward to having him back on to talk about it then. And um, I don't think I've ever shared that story with you guys before about how I met uh, uh, Chico back in uh, 90, 90, I want to say 90, 98. It was 98. That's when it was 1998. So long time ago, but uh, Chico, I don't know if he was coaching yet with the Bears or maybe he was one of those uh, quality assurance assistant coaches or or, or whatever. But it was uh, it was before he joined the staff, I believe. But uh, I recognized him instantly. And like I said, it was he was right on top of me before I actually uh, noticed that it was him. If I had seen him like because the way that it was, the, the line, you know, you know, snaked around in the in the guardrails on the outside. And then it was like this little hut in the middle where it was this like turntable uh, that you had where the boats were, you know, were coming from, you know, people getting off the ride to people getting into it. And then off it goes and up the chutes and down the hill once again and all that. So it's like the, the line leads up to, to, to some stairs and then you go down a stairwell before you come through the turnstiles and to get on the boats. And if I'd have noticed Chico anytime sooner than I saw him, I swear I would have pushed everyone to a side and let him go first. But like I said, I didn't see him. I turn around and boom, there he is. He's staring right at me. I was like, Whoa, Ron Rivera, you know, like, nice to meet you, man. Oh, you get your own boat back right over there. That one's yours, you know? And, uh, just between me and you, 
They're not supposed to do that. There's, there's not only supposed to be three people in a boat, especially when the one sitting in front was like a five-year-old. So it's, that was way against the rules of what I was supposed to do. But hey, it's Chico. You know, he's a bear. He's got a Super Bowl twenty ring on his finger. Pfft, guy can do whatever the hell he wants as far as I'm concerned. So yeah, that's uh, that's the moment that I had. And the other team, other players that I've met, coaches, I met Coach Ditka back in 2007. I had lunch uh, at his restaurant when he was working with, um, it, was, it was still, um, oh God, what was the other guy? He was Sylvie in ESPN and his old uh, Mark Silverstein. No, that is Sylvie. What the hell am I saying? I forget what his old partner's name was, but when they did their show on Thursdays, they did it at Ditka's with the coach and I got to meet him during a commercial break and everything. I uh, had lunch at his at his uh, restaurant that day. That was pretty cool. I have a picture of that uh, on Facebook, I believe. And uh, the other person that I met, Neil Anderson. Met Neil in the 80s when he was uh, at the height of his powers uh, with the Bears. I remember I was at an arcade, if you guys even know what the hell an arcade is. Uh, I was at the arcade that was just down the street from my house. And as I was walking back, the video store, another thing that doesn't exist anymore, uh, a video store across the street from where I was walking um, was announcing that Neil Anderson was going to be here from like one to three. So I, uh, you know, I ran home immediately and I got my little mini hutch football, you know, that I could throw for a mile because it was the perfect size for my tiny little nine or 10 year old hands or however old I was at the time. And I went up there and got to the front of the line and forgot to get him to sign the ball. He signed the little, you know, five by sevens or whatever's that he was, he was giving away. He asked me my name and he signed it. And I stood there holding the football and didn't get him to sign it and walked away with my picture. And I just absolutely froze up when I saw him because it was him like, dude, that's Neil Anderson. How, how cool is that? And like I said, I totally froze up uh, when I saw him, forgot to get him to sign the ball, which in hindsight was good because I still used the ball. I still played with it. It's not like at eight or nine years old or however old I was at the time. I was going to have him sign the ball and then put it away and never play with it again, you know, like an adult would. But <laughs> so ended up being a good thing in the long run because that thing would have worn off in the rain and the snow and the mud and all that stuff that I used to play that with that football with. But uh, those are the three that I can remember off the top of my head. Ditka, obviously, being in the Mount Rushmore on that one. Uh, Neil Anderson, Chico Rivera, the players that I've met. Oh, and Rashawn Salam. I, I, I think I mentioned that once before uh, when he passed away that uh, – Rashan Salam, I did meet him once uh, at a Whole Foods in Highland Park, uh, of all things. So, anyway, I think that's going to do it for this uh, this particular edition of the Chicago Bears Review, part one of the NFC South in the books, and we'll be back. Um, well, let's see, either Monday or Tuesday, and once I get everything uh, pinned down with our new friend from Who Dat Dish on on Fansided.com. Uh, you know, getting them uh, on the show uh, to uh, to help us out, previewing the Saints, and um, you know they were it, like we talked about with with Brian. This is a crazy division that's got top of the line quarterbacks. It's it's offense for days in this division. The Falcons, the Buccaneers. You really got to watch out for the Bucks. I can't wait to talk about them uh, in a, in a, in, a, in a in about a week or so. We'll be doing the Bucks. And, you know, the Falcons, we all know what they were able to do. And then the Panthers and what their potential is for this season. Be a lot of points and not a whole lot of defense going on in the NFC South this year. So um, 
today is right now it's thursday you're most likely not hearing this until saturday just because uh jeff hartman and the pittsburgh steelers uh was tuesday night slash early wednesday when that show finally dropped for most of you so i'll probably wait until saturday to release this i have uh the the setup for uh with tyler um to talk about the saints on most likely tuesday and get the show that and and you know, we got the Bucks lined up and then so on, and the ball is rolling. Before you know it, we'll be in the NFC North and getting things ready to, to wrap things up before training camp starts on the 26th of July. So it's getting closer and closer all the time. So, um, like I said, we'll be back on uh, Tuesday, maybe Wednesday at the latest with the New Orleans Saints. Until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Chicago Bears Review. 